Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. I want to say this to Facebook before we get started. Would you release my video to go to all the places that it used to go this morning? I promise I'll be good. I won't say anything controversial. I'm just going to talk about the Lord this morning, and I won't get into any politics or anything. So if you would, I'd really appreciate it this morning. Thank you. Hallelujah. I had to say that because our broadcast is so restricted. You know, we started out with 800, 1100 views uh, on a Sunday morning, and now we're blessed to hit about 120 anymore. So just cut it loose. I'll be good, I promise. Uh, Turn to Matthew, the second chapter. I want to talk to you this morning about the significance of the Bethlehem star. The Bible says in Acts 2.19, And I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. So God made that promise that he'd show us signs in the heavenly, signs in the sky, and he certainly has. Uh, In Matthew, the Second chapter, the first verse, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Herod the great, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem asking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and anxiously asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, was to be born. They replied to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not in any way least among the leaders of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod secretly sent for the Magi and learned from them the exact time the star had first appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and beheld, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, continually leading the way, until it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and after entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then after opening their treasure chest, they presented to him gifts fit for a king, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. 
that's a nice little story. I remember a song about that, you know, it was about, you know, once you have an encounter with Jesus like that, you leave another way. Amen. And we pray that all the time here, that when you come to church, we pray that you leave another way. In different condition, better condition. Amen. That's what happens when you have an encounter with the Lord. But bright stars are significant to this particular season that we're in, the Christmas season. I mean, they top Christmas trees all over the world. They're on the sides of the buildings, atop of buildings. People sing songs about stars, like star of wonder, star so bright. And we display a star in our nativity scenes. It's a big part of our nativity scene. And it was a star that guided the wise men, the magi, the astrologers, the three kings of the Orient, to this little town in Bethlehem where Jesus, our Savior, was born. So the star I'm talking about has become known as the Bethlehem star or the star of Bethlehem as described in Matthew's gospel. But we shouldn't confuse the star of Bethlehem with the so-called Christmas star that some people are calling this star that's going to appear in the sky tomorrow night because they're not the same. I know some people even calling it the Bethlehem star. But the Bethlehem star is so significant to the prophetic utterances of the prophets in the Bible that we cannot confuse them. We have to keep them separate because the Christmas star has no spiritual significance that we know of based on the Bible. It could be another sign in the sky. God could be giving us another sign, and that's wonderful. We'll be watching for it. But this is not the Bethlehem star. So uh, the Christmas star will be caused by a conjunction of planets, just like the star of Bethlehem was caused by a conjunction of planets. But they're not the same planets. That's why I know it's not the same star. A conjunction happens when planets appear incredibly close to one another and in a certain orbit in line with the Earth. And because they do line up with the earth, it causes them to shine very brightly because of the position of the sun. And Saturn and Jupiter will be closely aligned tomorrow night, but they will appear a bright star in the southwest horizon. The Bethlehem star showed up twice, and it both times was in the eastern horizon, the eastern sky. So that's why I know it's not the same star. And I preached about the Bethlehem star before, but since then, the Lord's added some to it. And plus, I think this is a good time to preach about it because uh, the season is so significant. And the Bethlehem star is talked about so much this time of the year. So, uh, again, it's not the same star as the one we're going to view tomorrow. This one always shows up in the eastern sky and for a particular reason. But the first time the star of Bethlehem appeared was over 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to the earth and was born of a little virgin by the name of Mary. Isaiah said, a body hast thou prepared for me. And that body was prepared in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And that body, that word came and was planted in that body and it became Jesus Christ, the anointed one with his anointing. So that happened over 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. And the second time it appeared was on June the 15th of 2015. That's five years ago. I realize that. 
but it's still just as significant today as when it appeared 2,000 years ago and when it appeared five years ago. And the first time this bright star appeared was in the eastern sky over Bethlehem where the Christ child was born. That's what we read about this morning. And it was later named the Star of Bethlehem or the Bethlehem Star. The purpose of the star was to announce the birth or the arrival of God to the earth in his first coming. And the Bible prophesied that the Lord would come to this earth twice. He's already been here once, so he owes us another visit. And it's not talking about him coming at the rapture. He's not coming to earth. We're going to meet him in the air, in the sky, so he's not going to touch down on earth. So the first time he would come to save the world, and the second time he would come to judge the world. A big difference between the two. And what's amazing is the Bethlehem star was given as a sign for both comings. When he came as a child and was born of the Virgin Mary, and when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, to judge the earth. So the first time the star announced to the world the arrival of Christ and then guided the three wise men or the three kings, astrologers, the magi, whatever you want to call them, it's all the same, guided them into the presence of the Lord. It said that it continually guided them. And like I said, this star only appeared twice since the creation that we know of, since any time we kept records of anything. Uh... And the second appearance, like I said, was June 2015, which is some 2,000 years after its first appearance. This is a lesson in astronomy this morning, but I promise you I'm going somewhere with it. But here's what's interesting. The first time it appeared, God arranged for a cosmic conjunction of the planets Venus, Jupiter, and a bright star by the name of Regulus. And they align within one degree apart from one another, and recorded the first Bethlehem star, or the first star of Bethlehem, and that was in the constellation Virgo. So the combined brightness of the three heavenly bodies made a light that was so bright, it was noticeable, but this star was miraculous because stars don't move. They stay in the same place. The planets and uh, everything orbit around and through and within the stars, but the stars don't move, but this star moved. It guided the three magi into the presence of the Lord. So this is a miraculous star. And so uh, the first appearance of the, of the star, like I said, it ushered in the Lord's first coming to earth. And then what we need to understand is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14, we sang about it this morning. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then in verse 14 it says, And the word that was with God, that is God, that made all things that same word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And so we have the word coming to earth, entering into the body that was prepared for him in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the seed, the word, we know the word is seed from our parables, right? Uh, a sower went forth to, to sow. And, and Jesus said that seed is the word of God. So the word of God, not Jesus, the word of God was planted in that body that later became known as Jesus Christ, the anointed one with his anointing. So Mary received the word, received the seed. It grew and nine months later, bang, we're celebrating Christmas. Jesus was born. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is when the word came to earth and was planted into that little virgin handmaiden. That's what we're celebrating this week. That's what we celebrate the 25th of December every year. The birth of our Lord and Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the day he was born of a virgin. So the planets, Venus, Jupiter, and the star Regulus in conjunction shine brighter than any star in the sky. And this same cosmic conjunction occurred again in June of 2015 for the first time since it appeared uh, at the birth of Christ at his first coming. But here's a prophetic significance to the return of the star of Bethlehem. Particularly as we consider its timing because we had the tetrad of the four blood moons. You remember that? And all four of the blood moons uh, fell on significant Jewish holidays like Passover and, and uh, others. And, and many are looking at the conjunction as a prophetic sign of Christ's second coming. Amen. Amen. However, there's one element that makes this recent conjunction of the planets significant and unique from the first coming of Jesus and the first appearance of the star. This time, instead of appearing in the constellation Virgo, the same star, the same planets aligned in the constellation Leo, which means lion. So a famed 17th century, century astronomer by the name of Johann Kepler calculated the historical movement of the planets and the stars and he arrived at this conclusion uh, that this star appearing in June of 2015 was the same exact setup as the conjunction that heralded the birth of Christ, except that this time it was in the constellation Leo instead of the constellation Virgo. So the first time it appeared in Virgo, the last time it appeared in Leo, and that, that's what makes its second appearance so unique and so different from the first. The Bethlehem star appeared the first time in conjunction with Christ's first coming to birth to earth at his birth, and the Bethlehem star that pointed to that birth was in the constellation Virgo. I know I'm being repetitive, but this is really important because that word Virgo means virgin maiden. Then in June of 2015, the Bethlehem star, the same star, the same planets aligned for the second time, but this time they align in the constellation Leo, and Leo means the lion. So God said he'd give us signs in the heavens. This is two of the most major signs that I've ever seen in my life. Blood moons are amazing. Eclipses are amazing. But this sign right here is the most amazing sign that we have ever seen or ever will see 
except for the coming of the Lord himself. But God has given us these signs that are pointing not only to his first coming, his son's first coming to earth, but the last star pointed to Christ's second coming to earth. And this time he's coming not to save the world, but he's coming to judge the world. He, he already saved the world. He's on, he only has to do that once. Now he's coming to judge the world. And this has nothing to do with the rapture. This is seven years later. And, and there's, there's myriads of signs pointing to his second coming, his return to earth as the king of kings and the lord of lords. But no signs pointing to the rapture. But as we see the signs of his second coming, we know the rapture is just seven years before that. So we can get close to it. Amen. So there's prophetic connections made between also the Hebrew names and the meanings for the two planets and the star Regulus. They make up the star of Bethlehem. First of all, Regulus, this is in the Hebrew language. This is what the Jewish rabbis teach. The star Regulus is called the king star. Venus means very bright light, and Jupiter means the call for justice and righteousness. This is according to the Hebrew. You won't find this in the English dictionary, but this is what the Hebrew definitions of those names are. And you know, with God, names are really significant. Uh, usually when God names somebody, he changed Abram's name to Abraham, because he was telling Abraham, you will be the father of nations. So every time somebody said Abraham, it reminded him of God's promise that he'd be the father of many nations. He changed Jacob, the supplanter, the trickster, changed Jacob's name to Israel. He became the father of Israel. So names are significant to God. When he names something, it means something. And we shouldn't take it lightly. So what does all this mean? Well, God in his infinite wisdom and power is the only one that is capable to give us this type of sign in the heavens. It's not coincidental. These signs are not coincidental. He's the only one that can move galaxies, stars, and planets and place them in any constellation that he wants to. Nobody else can do that. Amen? Can we agree on that? So Regulus, being referred to as the king star, Jesus is called king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. Venus means a very bright light. Jesus is referred to as the bright and morning star. Jupiter means a call for justice and righteousness. And that's exactly what Jesus brought to the earth. So the Hebrew names and meanings portray this message. A king is coming that is brighter than any star that has ever shone on the earth. And he shall usher in justice and righteousness. This is what the sign of the Bethlehem star points to this is what God's message is to the earth that this Jesus is coming to usher in justice and righteousness he did it in the hearts of every Christian because we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ but the world isn't righteous when he comes a second time he's going to bring with him justice and righteousness to this sinful lost world amen so 2,000 years ago, a kingly star seeking after justice and righteousness appeared in the eastern sky through a constellation named Virgin, pointing to the place of the first coming of Christ to the earth as a child born of a virgin. God's saying, uh, my son is coming to the earth and he's going to be born of a virgin. That's what the sign said. 
And then some 2,000 years later, five years ago, five years and maybe six months ago, that same kingly star appeared in the eastern sky again. But this time it appeared in the constellation Leo, which points to the line of the tribe of Judah. So God is telling us with this last appearance, my son is coming back to the earth, but this time he's coming to instill justice and righteousness as the line of the tribe of Judah, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So why didn't he come? When it appeared the first time, he came. And it showed us where he was. Why didn't he come this time? Because he loves you and me so much that he's given us more time to get the gospel preached, more time to get your friends and loved ones and relatives saved. He's given us more time, the Bible says in Revelation, space to repent. So because he hasn't come yet, doesn't mean he's not coming. Take advantage of the time in between the last appearance of the star and his appearance in the eastern sky. Amen? So, you know... Uh, God's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, which is souls, but he hath long patience for it. This is a demonstration of the patience. He's waiting. Amen. Hallelujah. So now, both times the star of Bethlehem appeared, it appeared in the eastern sky. Why is that significant? Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So this Christmas star tomorrow is going to be in the southwestern sky. But we should have our eye on the eastern sky because that's where the king is going to return from. Amen. So Jesus, in Revelation twenty two sixteen, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Then he said in Revelation 5, 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And then finally in Jeremiah 23, 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and do wisely and will execute justice and righteousness in the land. So he appeared the first time as a child born of a virgin. But this time, in the second coming to earth, he's going to appear as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Vast difference between a little baby and a lion of the tribe of Judah. And the timing involved here can in no way be associated with any kind of coincidence. Can we agree to that? So, but every year we celebrate this little baby in a manger. We look for him to be in the stable this time of year. Lying there in a manger, surrounded by his parents, the little farm animals, and the three wise men kneeling before him. I mean, that's what we were trained to recognize. That's what we see in the nativity scenes. That's the story we're told uh, from early on as a Sunday school child. So in other words, we focus on the first Bethlehem star and the baby when we should be focused on 
the second Bethlehem star and the lion. So in a sense, that first Bethlehem star, the, the manger scene and everything about it has become a distraction. And it's become a deception. Because it distracts us from the real star that we're to be watching for, which is the bright and morning star, the line of the tribe of Judah, who's going to return in great glory and judge the earth of sin. The first time he came, not as a baby, but as he grew, he convicted the world of sin. This time he's going to judge the world of sin. And he's given us plenty of space to repent, plenty of time in between to repent. Amen? So we have this nativity scene. It's on some people's lawns. You won't find it at the courthouses anymore or anything like that. Oops, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that. That slipped, really. But we have songs like Away in a Manger. And it reminds us of where we can find the baby Jesus. He's away in a manger. And... I mean, Christmas never disappoints us. We, you know, we always find our little baby Jesus away in a manger or in Mary's arms sleeping, surrounded by the animals and friends and loved ones and the three wise men. And it's comforting to know that Jesus is right there where we expect him to be. We want little baby Jesus there in the manger where he can look cute, remain helpless, and especially not challenge us very much. I mean, what can a baby do for us? And we like having predictable, little, cute, helpless Jesus right there in the manger. One who won't challenge us or push us too hard and especially not judge us for the lifestyle that we've been living all year. And believe it or not, some people can draw comfort from knowing that he's just a baby in a manger. Some people never move on from that manger, never move on from that nativity scene. And their life shows it. The Christmas story about the little babe in the manger is very popular. Like I said, you start hearing it when you're a little child in Sunday school, if you were brought up in church, or you certainly hear it when you start coming to church, or uh, you, hear, you used to hear it all the time on television and stuff, not so much anymore. Uh, somebody's always telling the story about the babe in the manger. And uh, plus it's being preached from millions of pulpits this morning, kind of like it's being preached from this pulpit this morning. It's just traditional. But I noticed in the Gospels that God didn't allow the Gospel writers to dwell very long on this manger scene. He says, tell them about it and move on. I'm not being disrespectful or anything. It's the truth. If you read the Gospels, uh, all four gospel writers were, gave relatively little time uh, to the telling of the stable and the manger and the little animals and that stuff. And not that it wasn't important. It was. It was important. It was announced by angels, sung about by the heavenly choir. It was accompanied by wondrous signs. Uh, however, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really didn't write a whole lot about it. Matthew devoted only one verse that speaks of Jesus' birth. And the rest of the verses that we read relate to the announcement of his birth and the visit of the Magi. Luke devotes about 20 verses. Mark and John don't even speak of Jesus' birth directly. 
So you see, even the scriptures don't permit Jesus to remain in the major very long. So I don't think we should either. We're, I mean, we were all born. I hope so. We all had a birthday, an original birthday, and many birthdays since, of which I don't even care the number. But I'll never have an original birthday again. <laughs> Amen. I was born again when I accepted Jesus. I guess that's my real birth date now. But we never stay a little baby. We move on from there. And I guess that's what God is telling us through the gospel writers here. It's a, it was a glorious event. It's significant. But it's time to move on. I don't want you to view him as a babe in the manger anymore. Uh, <laughs> When there is volumes written about his second coming, I mean, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, volumes of verses of Scripture that point to his second coming and the significance of that and the events that are going to occur before, during, and after his second coming, why would we focus on one little passage of Scripture uh, obscurely spoken of about the birth of Christ and dwell there and stay there when we should have moved on with the rest of the gospel writers and the rest of the saints of God. That's all I'm saying. I'm not being disrespectful. But even at, even the so-called Christmas story that has been told for centuries is just, it's been so misinterpreted and displayed so inaccurately by the church that it's almost shameful to even show that story if you really knew it. I'll just give you one quick example of it. The Magi weren't at the stable. They didn't come for another two years. And when they came, they came to a house. That's why Herod had all the baby boys killed up to the age of two because that's the time that uh, the Magi visited. And so there's a lot of inaccuracies. But we wouldn't like that manger scene. We've got to have the three wise men there. Keep the little fuzzy animals, too. That's all right. But, you know, it was a joyous time in Bethlehem. There's no doubt about it. Baby Jesus was born in a manger, surrounded by family and friends and some cute little cuddly farm animals. It's still a nice nativity scene even though the wise men are far removed. So it's easy for us to relate to that because it's so cute and it's so pleasant and it's so non-threatening and it's certainly not judgmental, Uh, especially little baby Jesus laying there so helplessly. I mean, nobody can reject a story or a scene like that. It's just too cute. And when we're dealing with a baby, we have a sense of superiority, right? I mean, we're in charge. That baby's dependent on us. We don't need the baby as much as the baby needs us, and so we're superior to that baby. We are in control, and we know that the baby is defenseless, and he's depending on us for its care, and so we never feel threatened. I've never been intimidated by a baby. I've never been afraid of a little baby. Have you? At least not from a physical sense. 
Now, I have to admit, I've been frightened by a few diapers that I've changed over the years, but that, even at that, I didn't feel threatened. Amen? I felt a number of different things, but not threatened. But this is the first time, or this is the time of the year where everybody can identify with Jesus. And they do, as a baby in a manger, surrounded by friends and family and all the cuddly little animals. And yeah, I'll let you have the three wise men in there too if it makes you feel better. And we then add a little snow to the scene. Right? Because what would a nativity scene, or what would Christmas be without scene? And we do that because we're all dreaming of a white Christmas anyway, right? And it, you know, it just makes us feel so warm and fuzzy. Brings back memories. And because of that, we'll tolerate a story about Jesus. Even the worst of sinners will tolerate a story about little, cuddly, innocent, helpless Jesus. And it even makes it easy for... When it's predictable, like in traditional churches where they traditionally preach on, you know, Easter and Christmas and Holy Days and Mauv Tuesday and Resurrection Sunday and all, it's easy to come to church uh, for those that come semi-annually because they know they're not going to be threatened. They're just going to hear a cute little story, a Christmas story about Jesus. They don't want to hear about the line of the tribe of Judah that's coming to judge them. They don't want to hear about the king of kings, the Lord of lords, uh, coming to judge them. They want to hear about little helpless Jesus in the manger. We even sing, oh, come, let us adore him. So we want to worship the baby. We don't want no part of the line. And if I told everybody we're going to preach about the line of the tribe of Judah that's coming back to judge the world real soon, nobody would show up for Christmas service. They'd be offended. They'd be frightened. But it's easy to identify with little baby Jesus in the manger, but not his second coming. He's easy to identify as Little baby Jesus in the major, but not as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the Christmas story is necessary because this is a time when most people can identify with Jesus because they're identifying with something that is not threatening, is helpless, and it's just a little baby. But can they identify with the lion of the tribe of Judah? So the little, that's why I'm going to give you a little Christmas story this morning, and then I'm going to talk about the lion. Is that all right? <laughs> the little baby in the major, people identify with him easily. He's easy to love, but when it comes to Jesus the king or the judge who walked the shores of Galilee, opened blind eyes, cast out devils, opened de deaf ears, healed the sick, calmed the raging seas, it's not easy to identify with him because he's threatening He's scary, especially if you don't know him. It's hard to identify with Jesus alone because he convicts you of your sin and tells you to repent. And nobody wants to hear that, especially this time of year. We haven't even cracked our Bible in a month, but we hit every mall in the city and spent hours on Amazon. Don't tell me. I've been bad. <laughs> I've been good. 
But Jesus the lion is the one that's able to turn your life around. Jesus the lion is the one that's able to save your soul. The little baby in the manger couldn't do that. Salvation is, and pardon the pun, a king-sized job. It took Jesus the lion to bend over that whipping post and receive the 39-plus stripes that healed you and me. It took Jesus the lion to hang on that cross and shed all his blood on Calvary. No little baby could do that. But Jesus' second coming as a lion of the tribe of Judah becomes a threat because we know he's called us to repent, and some of us didn't. We know he's coming to judge us because we didn't, and so we'll stick with the manger scene and avoid that second coming scene of the lion of the tribe of Judah as long as we possibly can. But don't wait too long. He is coming, and he is going to judge. I know that's scary. Pastor, can you tell us a Christmas story again? I'm going to close with this. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. This is John the Revelator talking. He said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. How many knows Jesus is faithful and true? If he said it, it's going to happen. And in righteousness... He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And John even described his feet when he first saw him. He said his feet shone like bronze that was purified in the fire. Hair white as the ancient of age, his hair white as snow and woolly eyes that were piercing had fire coming out of his eyes that ain't no baby in the manger but the baby in the manger ain't coming back god had a purpose for that but that purpose has been served and we move on from there he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, that's you and I, coming back with him, white and clean, followed him on white horses. We're all getting horses. In this life, I really haven't had much experience with horses. I've always been afraid of them. But I guess I should start taking some lessons. (laughs) Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with an iron rod. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It doesn't say babe in the manger. It ain't with a fluffy white gown. It's with a robe that was dipped in blood. The blood of the saints, his blood. The blood that he saved us with. So that, my friend, doesn't sound like a babe in a manger to me. Now, don't get me wrong. We should celebrate the birth of our Savior. That's what we're doing here today. 
But then we have to move on and start focusing on the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the one we're serving today. Amen? And as long as we keep little baby Jesus in the manger, we're not going to do a thing to change our lives. We're just going to continue the same because little baby Jesus in the manger is not a threat to us. But if we start focusing on the eastern sky from which the line of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is going to bust wide open one of these days, we might change our lives. And that's why the devil would like to keep you in the nativity scene, keep you at that little manger looking at a poor, helpless, little innocent baby when your eyes should be focused on the line of the tribe of Judah that's going to bust that eastern sky open not long from now. You're going to have to answer to him, not a little baby in the manger. And he ain't playing. His eyes are piercing like flames of fire. That means he can see right through you. He knows you. You can't fool him. You might be able to fool that little baby. They're gullible. They'll believe anything. I told my kids stories when they were little. That it was shameful. Should have never told them stories like that. But they believed every word. Amen. But we won't believe this word. That's why Jesus says uh, we have to come to him as a little child. And we have to be converted. Why? A little child is trusting, believing, gullible, believe anything you tell him. And that's how Jesus wants us with the word. And if he says he's coming back as a line of the tribe of Judah, that's it. That's how he's coming back. And he's going to judge us. He's going to judge the world. And he's going to judge anybody that's not born again. And it's going to be too late. Amen? So that's why we should celebrate the manger, celebrate the birth of Christ, but then move on and start looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Merry Christmas. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. We'll see you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.